Buenos días. You are listening to the Life in Paradise podcast featuring Brandon Harper. Thank you for listening and enjoy the program. Hola, buenas tardes. Estás escuchando la música de la raza. Aquí mande 99.3. La raza. Aquí andamos. That was my best off-the-cuff Mexico radio personality impersonation. Growing up um, in Texas, spending a lot of time in San Antonio or uh, Houston, a lot of time near South Texas, I heard a lot of Mexican radio, uh, especially being in construction after college. And it's funny because I would walk into houses and hear the guys listening to the radio, and I would pick up on the, the radio personalities. They had these very distinct voices. And then I would also learn to recognize specific songs. I wish I'm going to go back and try to find. I'm going to try to find this one particular song that I used to always hear, and I really liked it, but I never knew who it was or how to find it. I'm going to go try to find it. If you heard a Spanish-speaking Mexican song for the intro, that means I found it. If you did not hear the song for the intro. That means I didn't find it, because I always do the intro after I record. So it's about 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. I'm here still in Tennessee. The weather's been great. It was supposed to have gotten rainy uh, later in the week, and it did not. So I'm super happy about that. I just got back from um, Franklin, Tennessee, which, man, that town is booming. It is booming. I don't know. I guess people are relocating from Nashville to there. But man, it is gorgeous, it is clean, and they got some money. I don't know where it's coming from, but man, big gorgeous houses everywhere, lots of brand new retail. I mean, um, I haven't checked on prices or anything, but it's, it's probably skyrocketed by now. A really cool little downtown Main Street area, and it's about 30 minutes from Nashville. So I got to get some hot chicken that I've been wanting to get, did a little driving around there, checking out the scene. One thing that's highly different between Texas and Tennessee right now is the um, the mass situation. I hadn't really hadn't been out too much, been kind of playing hermit. And where I'm at, it's kind of rural. Um, it's not very urbanized or populated. So naturally, people in this area don't wear masks in public. And this, there's no signs on any doors. And every now and then you'll see someone wearing them, but there's not. There's really not many people in Texas right now. You may as well commit a cardinal sin if you're not wearing a mask. Once again, don't be getting all fussy. Don't be thinking, oh, man, here he goes. He's a mask hater. I didn't say that. Take a chill pill, dude. But, yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of confusing because you, you walk into a store and there are signs that say, like, no entry without mask. And you see, like, I was sitting when I was eating my hot chicken. I was looking at the door. And there was a sign on the door because I, I went through the same experience. So I was observing other people go through it. Brought my mask with me just in case, which is really just a handkerchief, if we're all being honest. I just tie it on the back of my head like a bank robber. So grab my mask out of the truck, go to put it on, walk to the door. I look in there. I see nobody else has a mask on. So I took my mask off. 
proceeded to order, proceeded to eat, and I sat there at the front door and watched everyone do the exact same thing. Now, listen, if the numbers were through the roof here, if hospitals were overcrowded, if people were dying in the streets, I think I would have put the mask on. I think everyone else would have too. But I feel like some people appreciate the freedom to make their own decision within their community. That's just my opinion. But yeah, it was funny to see people walk up to the door with the mask on, see the sign that says mask required, open the door, see that no one else is wearing their mask, and then taking off their mask. Man, hey, listen, we're Americans, dude. We don't, we don't just do things if we don't believe in them because someone tells us to. And now I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who I knew in Nicaragua, and he got married to a Norwegian lady, and so he moved to Norway. You know, he, he posted some really cool picture of him hiking, and I was like, oh, you guys weren't wearing masks. And then, like, you know, I was just kidding. Like, I have the ability to joke about this. For whatever reason, people don't like to joke about it. I think it's a very sensitive topic, which I find hilarious. So I made some joke about the mask, and he starts sending statistics and telling me why we don't wear masks and that we're just stupid Americans. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we don't trust our government here. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Like, what more do you need to know? We are the type of people that don't trust our government, at least some of us. There are other people here that do trust the government, and they would love for the government to manage everything and have no free market. And there's everyone in between. But for the most part, America was built on challenging things, questioning policy. And the minute that we stop doing that, it's not we're really not America anymore. Who do you know? regardless of their political affiliation, who just trust the government and thinks they do everything by the book and on the up and up and that they're efficient and that they just, everyone's just trying to do the best job they can do. Nobody. No one thinks that. doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, whatever. No one thinks that. And so the notion of wanting to give them more power and more control and more money just seems preposterous to me. I just don't understand that. Another thing that I've found funny about the masks, once again, don't get your feathers ruffled. We're not talking about whether or not we should wear the masks. At least I'm not. I think it's funny that people enjoy like being photographed with their mask on. I, I feel like I've seen way more selfies, uh, kind of mask-centric photos. Um, I think people like the allure, the mysteriousness, the mystique of being behind a mask. I've seen people posing for a picture, and before, <laughs> there are people sitting there with their mask off, and then they, someone gets out the phone to take the picture. Everyone puts on their masks for the picture. <laughs> and I saw Fauci do it. I saw Fauci in the background of an interview. He didn't know the cameras were rolling. He had his mask off. He's talking to somebody. All the people are standing around him. And then you hear the guy, like the producer, I go, okay, uh, we're coming back, three, two, one, whatever. And you see Fauci grab the mask and put it on real quick. <laughs> and I just laugh. I just like, sure, maybe he was hot. Maybe he needed a break, whatever. Like, he took off his mask. Like, I, And I, you know what? I'm not going to shame anyone for wearing a mask. I don't care. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. What's funny is that people are getting shamed for not wearing a mask, which, once again, I think human behavior can be very, very funny. And there's a certain side of our political spectrum who's always calling for action. I'm not going to pick sides. I'm not going to name names, but you'll figure it out. Just take a knee. Just wear a mask. Just ban the flag. Just make the beer. Just allow them to kneel. It's just the national anthem. Just don't use plastic straws. Just quit driving your SUVs. 
oh, I could keep going, but I think you're kind of getting the picture. And so whenever you have one group who's constantly telling another group what to do or what not to do, normally it's a call to action. It's a um, do this, do this, do this, change. It's some type of change in behavior. And so it's easy to be outspoken and make demands. It's hard to be outspoken and just say no, right? So do this. No, I don't want to. Do this. No, I don't want to. Do this. No, I don't want to. It's like the husband who gets nagged by his wife, you know? And what happens? What happens one day? He builds up enough resentment and he explodes. He has all he can take and he either erupts or he just leaves. He's like, I'm done with this. I can't handle it. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the, the quote unquote silent majority. And, and I don't know if that's an accurate term or not, but there is a large group of people who will probably reach a boiling point at some point. What is that going to look like? I have no idea. I'm not sitting here saying there's going to be a civil war and the South's going to rise again. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be. So if we look back in history, what, what did, what happened, right? Had a group of people who were unhappy with the way things were. They were unhappy being told what to do. They packed up and they left. They said, we're out. We're out. We're leaving. And then you know what? We're going to fight you to declare our independence. It says, you know what? We're done with you and the way that you do things, we're out. So one might argue whether it has or hasn't gotten that bad here. The only solution would be to leave, right? I mean, you can't, you can't rise up against the government and have a civil war. And I mean, who does the military side with, right? So these people who think that we're going to have a civil war, I think they're crazy. I think what you might see is some communities that, that really fight for autonomy, that they go to the federal government. And they want to proclaim, not, not independence, but more like self-sufficiency. Like, listen, within our community, let us do these things. Who knows what's going to happen? Obviously, we don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I've always thought that, um, like, some of the big moguls, Bill Gates, Michael Dell, the Amazon guy, Bezos, um, some of the big heavy hitters, I don't know if they could get on the same page. Their egos may be too big. But I've often thought why someone can't strike a deal to go buy out a country, like Venezuela, for instance. Like They're failing. They're broke. They're out of money. They can't afford anything. And I've often wondered why someone doesn't put a deal together and go to them and say, hey, guess what? We'd like to buy your country. Well, what does that look like? Well, we're going to give X amount of dollars to everyone in the country just so that they're happy. And for... <laughs> Here we go. I'm having deja vu. I may have talked about this way before. I don't know. I don't know, but I feel like I may have talked about it. If I have, you get to hear it again. They give everyone in the country a predetermined amount of money. Just one check, one time, that's it. Then they buy up all the debt, they assume all the assets, and everyone walks away. There would probably be a resistance from the, the crooked guys at the top of the government. I don't know for sure, but they probably are still getting rich somehow. Um, it's kind of a a thing they still figure out in corrupt countries is how to how to remain wealthy. But it's an interesting concept. They've got tons of oil, lots of resources. And just like our founding fathers, you know, they set out with a new vision. And that's what the American government was built on, just an idea. All these other governments have been around for so long. And, and that's one of the things that's propelled U.S. Or, or catapulted us from the bottom to the top. Is this, this new way of doing things? And so if we can take what we have now and even improve on it and not try to go backwards and try some failed socialist economy that blows my mind that people even think that's a good idea. 
Either way, and we, and we build a new America, and we take what we have and we revise it. We find the holes in it. We fill those, and we start over again. It, maybe it could be a better place. You know, I don't know. I'd be willing to try. I mean, if they opened up, if they bought a bunch of countries and made it a new world or a new land, like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And, and the same types of people that migrated here from Europe would, would, would go there, you know? The people who are risk takers and free thinkers and entrepreneurs. Okay, as usual, I got a little off topic there. <laughs> so I go back and I look at my notes and I've moved on and I'm like, oh man. And then I try to scroll back in the podcast and try to find it and splice it in. And just, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if I mess up the flow. But going back to the masks, I think it's, I think it's funny that, so there's a social expectation to wear the mask. No one can deny that. In, in mask wearing areas, right? And so you also have this behavior that people exhibit and it's like they want approval that they're following the regulations, right? So on the radio, there was a girl and she was talking about, I mean, I went to go visit my dad at the nursing home, socially distanced, of course. Like, why do people feel the need to say that? And you've heard it. You've heard people interject it. You may have done it yourself. What's the reason behind saying that? You know, it's because you don't want to be judged. You don't want to be lumped in the category of the people who hate old people. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we have to make that distinguishment, that we have to segregate that group out. That tells me almost without uncertainty that the same person who says socially distance, of course, would think something different if they heard someone <laughs> say that same sentence without adding in socially distance, of course, you follow me there, lest ye not be judged. I think that the people who are the the people who don't want to be judged are the people who judge. And I know the judge. I hate I hate the word. Don't judge me. Don't judge. Judge. Yeah, we we all judge. They're generalizations. But yeah, I just found that interesting. I mean, me personally, I don't know. I, I don't know if if I'm heartless or if I just value our freedom so much that I really don't care. I would never think less of someone for wearing a mask. I don't care. So let's just say that I think masks are absolutely worthless. They're the dumbest things ever. I don't know what we're doing. Remember, we're pretending. Don't get your panties in a wad. Don't start emailing me. Let's just say that I think that they're just the dumbest thing ever. Dumbest thing since Sheila Jackson Lee. And yes, I think she's dumb. Literally. No matter how dumb I think the masks are, I don't care if people want to wear them. It doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't affect how I feel about them. It doesn't affect how I see them as humans. And let's just say that I was 100% convinced that the mask would be our saving grace. That masks would, is the, is the reason that we have coronavirus is because no one wears a mask. And that if everyone wore a mask, the virus would go away. Don't, don't say it's silly. People out there think that. Somebody said the other day, someone from the CDC, right? Here's why, here's why we should question the CDC. Some Yahoo said if we all just wore a mask, the virus would be gone in four to six weeks. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. I'll shoot you with a super soaker. So either way, let's just say that I agreed with that. And I saw a guy walking around without a mask. I wouldn't care. I don't care. It's his right. It's his freedom. And I, and I, I don't, here's what, here's what it really boils down to for me. I don't expect that guy who hates masks and, and values his freedom, whatever it is that he values, his comfort, his freedom, whatever it is. I don't expect him to devalue what's important to him on my behalf or anyone else's behalf. Would it be nice if we were all just one big happy family and we all just did things together collectively for the greater good? Yes, but we're not like that. 
but people like to pretend. They like to pretend that they are. Listen, sure, we all like to do good things for other people, but we shouldn't expect other people to want to do good things for other people. You can want them to, you can hope that they do, but you really can't expect them to, especially when they're lacking information that they need to come to a decision. I've already talked about that. I don't know. I'm kind of masked out. I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I'm th- sick of thinking about it. You know, I'm getting ready to go back to Texas where it's mask world, whatever. I'm going to wear the mask. You know what? I'll wear a freaking sundress if that's what it takes to sell beer. Like at this point, I'll do whatever. You want to wear high heels? I will wear high heels. Let's do it. Let's put on the high heels and sell some freaking beer. Because if we don't, you know what's going to happen? We're going to go broke. All the mask advocates, you win. We're wearing masks. Let's do it. Let's not talk about whether or not it works. Let's just do it so we can move on with life. If this is the solution, let it be the solution. Let's tee it up and get it done and sell some freaking beer. However, I still stand on the ground that I don't think they're that effective. That's my personal opinion. I do not believe they're that effective. I still haven't seen any science. All I've heard is people that work for the CDC come out and make comments. That's not good enough for me. But you know what? At this point, I do not care. So like I mentioned, I just got back from Franklin, Tennessee, just for the day. And upon uh, driving around, I saw a little produce stand. And um, it's what, you know, it's what my grandmother would have called the farmer's market. And thinking about that whole situation, how the farmer's market has become a, it's, it's, there's like a resurgence now. And I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. I don't think there's any hope for small farmers as far as being able to sustain financially. But I really admire them for for doing what they love because it's so much work. So we need people like that. You know, we need people that are willing to forego profits to do what they love. That's a it's a respectable position. So I get to the little produce market and I really wanted some peaches because we're close to Georgia and they had a real nice selection. So stocked up on some peaches. It's um it was a classic little wooden hut on the outside was all the veggies and non-refrigerated stuff and you walk inside and they have like home smoked country hams and shelled purple hull peas really took me back to my childhood i remember if i was going anywhere with my grandparents nana and papa they loved to stop at the farmer's market which is really just a produce stand on the side of the road but i could see my grandmother walking around with her purse on her shoulder and her sunglasses on you know, picking up all the fruit and squeezing it and saying, Harry, bring me a bag and telling my grandfather what to do. And she'd get some pecans and some of this, and some of that, some jams and some jellies. And uh, I don't know. It was cool. It's been a long time since I've been to one of them. And I stocked up on a bunch of good jams and jellies and peaches. And I thought about like when my grandmother would visit those places, I wonder if it made her think about when she was a kid. And when she was growing up, you know, that's they weren't like this little funzy, trendy, ooh, look at us, we're a farmer's market, we're going local. They were like, uh, we've got to survive, so let's go set up a little stand in the corner, see if we can't sell some of these miters. And so, I don't know, I was just, I was picturing her there getting a nostalgic feeling too, and it was kind of cool. I've been working on a project um, they recorded my aunt Ruth, who is my great aunt, was my grandmother's sister. And so my grandmother grew up with, there was 13 siblings. There was more than that, actually, because some passed away before they were grown. One, a set of twins uh, passed away, like, not too long after birth. But they recorded a bunch of stories that Aunt Ruth's telling and about how things used to be. And so I'm going through all that and, and editing some of the audio, you know, cutting out the the silences and the the burbs and whatnot, and just listening to how they did things. 
We get caught up in the mundane details about masks and COVID, and we don't have to deal with hardly anything compared to what they had to deal with. And you know what? They made it through it. They got through it. You know, it wasn't uncommon to have a child die. You know, death was was not that foreign to them. It was just a part of life. And we're so comfortable now. We're so, we have such a little bubble and everything we do is so safe that anything outside that is just like extremely terrifying. And I think it could be a problem. I just think about how, I just think about what it might look like a hundred years from now. And we start to shelter ourselves so much that it takes, takes all the fun out of life. Listen, I'm not a thrill seeker, dangerous, let's go skydiving every day kind of guy. But there's something to be said about riding a bicycle without a helmet on. Now, I'm not saying we should, you know, don't, don't take that too far. Just, there's just something about it. That's all. There is something about it. Whether or not it's worth it to you, that's your decision. So I hope when the day comes that I have kids that I can step back a little bit and, and let them make decisions within my realm, but allow them the freedom to make a decision that might hurt them because that's how you learn is through experiences. I feel like I'll tell them one time, hey, when you're jumping on a trampoline, be careful near the edge because you can slip through. I mean, who knows if trampolines are even legal these days, but, you know, I would give them a fair warning and they would get one warning. And it's like, if they don't listen, I'll probably let them fall. I'll tell them one time, do not run around the pool. There's going to be a time if they slip. You know what? They may fall. They may bust their lip open. Chances are they're not going to die from a slip and fall. Maybe there's something to be said for letting people make decisions and making mistakes and learning from them instead of not allowing them to make decisions. We're not allowing politicians to make decisions. Why not? Because there's such an uproar. No matter which decision they make, people have such a big voice now that politician makes decision A, everyone screams and cries. Politician makes decision B, the inverse screams and cries, and it's not worth it for them. And what the people are doing is, is working. I mean, look at Goya Foods. This is a prime example. <laughs> we, uh, we have this company who donated 2 million pounds of food to food banks in Houston. The guy goes to the White House to get recognition, the CEO does. Now, they employ 4,000 people. He goes to the White House to get recognition. He says he approves of Trump's job. Then you have people screaming about boycotting him or boycotting Goya. So what? You're going you're gonna to boycott a company who just gave 2 million pounds of food to a food bank and employs 4,000 people, mo- most of which are Latino? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, why do we spend so much money on public schools? I looked up. How much does it cost to build a school? I want you to take a second and guess in your brain. How many dollars per square foot to build a school? I'll give you, let's start here. The average house, like if you were to go buy um, a production home from a home builder in a neighborhood, regular lot, regular backyard, you're looking, this is just without the land. Without the land, you're looking at about $110, $115 a foot. That's in Texas, something like that. Schools, to build a school, $250 a square foot. Now, this is like, and they use, I mean, it's good, good, good construction. Most of it is. My question is why? Why do we need to do that? Why can't we build energy-efficient aluminum shells outside of town where real estate is cheap and have the best technology, the best science, the best engineering, 
all this nice equipment we could have, and, and, and we don't need the fancy school buildings. I've, I've said the same thing about police stations, fire departments. Man, you look at some of these fire departments. When I lived in the woodlands, man, they're like these giant mansions. All they need is a comfortable place for people to hang out till they go work. I just thought about that because I passed the school in Franklin, and it was like it was like a county courthouse times a thousand, just huge, huge building. I thought it was a college at first, gigantic pillars. I mean, just very, very expensive construction. So it it works out to I think um, I don't know forty five million dollars for the average school, two hundred fifty bucks a square foot. That now we got the school built. That doesn't even consider how much we spend maintaining it. Because that's a large portion of those buildings cost. People don't realize that. It's like buying a boat. Like you buy it, but then you gotta maintain it. So I don't know. I'm of the mindset we shouldn't spend so much money on school architecture. Speaking of waste of money, I want to talk a little bit about big game hunting. It's a controversial topic, but I see the place for it. And here's here's how I see it. I have no desire to go to Africa and shoot elephants and giraffes and whatever else people go shoot, lions, gorillas, whatever. Like, I have no desire to do that. I don't really understand why people do, but I understand that people do. We can all admit that we all have different interests and hobbies, okay? If we look at mankind, there's always been some form of competition, right? I just picture, like, these Native Americans, you know, sitting around outside, and then one of them's got a rock and one of them's got a stick, and they, like take the rock and they throw it up and they hit it with a stick and it goes like, you know, 15, 20 feet. And the next guy does it and he tries to hit it farther, you know, and then you don't even have to exchange words. You can do it with eye contact and a stick and a rock. And we all know what's happening, right? Before you know it, you have a stick rock hitting competition. That's just the way guys are, especially Americans. We're very, very competitive by nature. So we can all admit that there are people within our culture who are very competitive. We can also admit there are people within our culture who really enjoy hunting. And I'm not even going to say hunting. I'm going to say killing something because it's not really hunting. I'm going to take that back. I'm going to edit that. It can be hunting. Lots of places you go in Africa are not hunting. So there's people who enjoy killing. In their mind, it's hunting, right? So we we can't call them like savage beasts because in their own mind, they're they're actually hunting something, right? They're not, they they block the details out of their mind. They were driven to where this animal resides and got to put the scope on it and pull the trigger. Like they, they get to go home and tell people they hunted this giraffe. So we got people who like to compete. We got people who like to kill animals. Now we got people with lots of money. So they have the ability and the means to go wherever they need to go to kill the biggest, flashiest animal and to brag about it. Now, how can this be a good thing? Well, it depends on the situation of the animal. If you look at animal control and population management, it's a very it's a science. It's not it's not an art. So, a certain plot of land can only sustain a certain number of animals. Normally the limiting factor is food. So, how much food per animal can be provided in a given area? And what happens is nature will correct itself, right? So, if you have overpopulation of animals what happens is the the, there becomes a food shortage animals starve off they die they get diseased they go away then once once the numbers have been dwindled down uh the area where they live 
repopulates itself with food. The herd grows and grows and grows. They reach capacity. Boom, they shrink back down. So it's this constant. If you look at it on a graph, it's like an up and a down and an up and a down and an up and a down. And so what we figured out is through human intervention, we can manage that population so that it doesn't spike up or down, that it finds an average, a baseline. And so what's the advantage of this? Well, number one, it gives us the ability to study the animals without a bunch of changing factors. Number two, it gives us the ability to enjoy those animals, whether it be hunting, looking at them, whatever, going through a, a, a drive through petting zoo, whatever, whatever it is, we know that we can control their population growth. And so these hunts that are taking place in Africa, I am all for them if the money is being used to manage the population, because sometimes it's necessary to remove animals from a population in order to allow it to maintain that baseline. So if there's a certain plot of land and it's getting close to being overcrowded and not enough food, and there's this big old male and he's grumpy and he tries to fight everyone and he's no longer fertile and he can't produce babies and someone's willing to pay $450,000 to shoot this rhino, let him shoot the rhino. Take that $450,000, put it back to the rhino population, whatever it is they need. They need food, you can buy them food. They need shelter, you can build them shelter. And so that's, that's my take on it. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't have any desire to do it. But I understand that there's a bunch of wealthy people out there that love it. And if, they can, if they're willing to contribute their money to manage the population so that it can go on forever, let them do it. It's like the program Ducks Unlimited. You know, they're duck hunters. They like to kill ducks. So what do they do? They raise tons of money throughout the year to invest in the duck population. You know why? They don't want it to go away. They don't want to kill all the ducks and there will be no more ducks left to hunt. So the money goes into doing research, building places like habitats for them where they can go and escape the hunters. Most animal conservation comes from hunters. People don't realize that. But yeah, we do our part, man. We do our part. And it's also important not to confuse poachers and hunters because they're not the same people. Just to give you an idea how many hunters don't poach, there's only two game wardens per county, I think. Someone could fact check that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And I've grown up my whole life hunting, knowing people who hunt, all of my friends hunt, a majority of my family hunts. Everyone tries to follow the law. No one tries to break the law. You know why? One reason is because the penalties are huge, huge penalties for violating game laws. You don't want that. And number two, we want to make sure that we can hunt forever and that everyone behind us can hunt. So all these people that get all worked up when somebody shoots a lion that's got a name, well, there could be a good reason for it. What if I told you that let this dumb guy shoot this lion and we can increase the lion population by five? Would you do it then? So everyone's going to have a number, right? I mean, I guess there's people that would say, you know, he should never die, even if we lose other lions. I mean, let nature take its course. I, I, I get all that kind of, but it just doesn't seem logical. Like if we, can, if we can help them, if we can create an environment with less stress, sure. But don't come to me and tell me to let nature take its course and then tell me that we should all be hiding out in our houses until the vaccine's developed for the COVID. All right. I think that's going to do it for today. 
It's now 7.20. The sun sets in about 40 minutes. I got just enough time to go on a short little hike with the dogs. Then I'm going to come back, edit this, post this. Yeah. And uh, I'm leaving here in a couple days, so I'm hoping I squeeze out a couple more podcasts before then. BH out. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Just wear the mask and keep it tranquilo. Hey, Polo, it's me, Brandon. Hey, listen, don't ask any questions. I just need you to answer this. I'm trying to figure it out, okay? You're being recorded. Remember that song that was real famous when I worked at David Weekly Homes? It was a Tejano song, and it was, like, super popular. It went like this. Amor, amor, amor. I think it's the... I'm not sure if it's the Los Angeles de Charlie or Los Angeles de Azules. Wait, say it again. Los Los Angeles de what? Angeles de Charlie. Uh-huh. Angeles de Charlie or... Angeles Azules. So it's either Angeles de Charlie or Angeles... Angeles de Charlie or Angeles Azules. Azules. But it's one of the two? Yeah, it's one of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. I, hey, I'm, re- I'm recording this on my uh, on my podcast, but I'm, I'm going to call you back sometime and I'm going I'm to interview you. So. All right, man. All right, thanks, Polo. Later. Aquí mi corazón y de amor has llenado mi alma y tu sangre corre por mis venas y mi sangre me hace estremecer.